Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on the middle of page or the bottom of page 55. We're continuing Tachnun, the forgiveness prayer. Or the, uh, we're not technically on the confessional portion of the prayer, but we are on the forgiveness prayer of Tachnun. And this is timely for Yom Kippur coming up. This is known as Nefilas Apayim, Nefilat Apayim, which means the fall when we fall with our face. Have you heard the term Nefilas Apayim before? This prayer, starting with this paragraph, is known as Nefilas Apayim because there's certain times where we take our arm when reciting this prayer and we rest our head and our arm covering our face as if we're fallen over. It's it's a very dramatic prayer. <laughs> And we call that nafila sapayim, the falling of the face. We I've fall into been, our face, and it's where we take our own pride. What? I've always been doing that, but I never knew that's what it was called. It, it, we take our own private moment, and we'll discuss the reasons for it soon, but we have our own private moment with God to talk. And to not just to confess, but to pour our heart out and to, to really have a heart-to-heart, -heart, meaningful conversation. Now, the, the truth is just technical halachic background here. The tradition, there's different traditions um, as to this falling of the face and the philos Traditionally, it was never like a hard ritual. There's hard rituals and there's soft rituals. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here. It wasn't something everybody did. The 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 in, the implication of the Talmud was it's something people would do like it's something you can do if that's what you're so inclined to do. Um, it became a, a tradition in Ashkenaz culture to do it for this prayer, fall over with our face covered, and we'll soon discuss the significance. There's there's beautiful significance behind this. Um, in Ashkenaz tradition, we do it only if there's a Torah present. Um, if you're in a shul or whatever it is, if you were praying at home, you wouldn't do it. And I, I that's what it says here in the presence of the ark, right? It says it in the center. I just read today. This is interesting. I didn't know this. There are some opinions that say you would do it in Israel, in Jerusalem, even if there's no Torah pre present, because you're in the land of Jerusalem, you're in a sacred space. You would do it as well. Um, how that would apply to the other cities of Israel and the other holy cities in Israel. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Sephardic tradition, not all Sephardics do, uh, do it either. But but let's take a step back. Where did this come from? It sounds like a funny ritual. If you've never seen it before and you walk in and you see all of a sudden everybody's praying, all of a sudden they rest their heads on their arms as if they're, you know, burying their heads in their arms. Like, where does this come from? You know where it comes from? Moses. What did Moshe do when God got angry at Korach? He fell on his face and cried out to God. What did Moshe do when, the, when God got angry at the Jewish people for the situation of the spies? Believing the spies, Moshe fell on his face. And there's several situations throughout the Torah where Moshe is just overwhelmed and wants to beseech God and he buries his face on the floor. Now, we don't go that far, uh, at least in the ritual of it, but that's the original source. That's where it originally came from. And commentaries, my favorite, com one of my favorite biblical commentaries, Rabbeinu B'chaya, 
explains that there are three reasons for this. Three reasons why we would demonstrate this as Moses did. Reason number one. The divine presence is right here. We just had the Amida. We just stood before God. We bowed before God. We theoretically, or at least we aspire, to have this experience that God is right here and we're talking to the king. He's present. That's why we take three steps back, three steps forward. I'm now having this heart-to-heart -heart conversation. I got to experience a little bit of, I don't know if shame is the right word. That might be too strong of a word these days. But shame in the literal sense of the word. Not like I'm ashamed of myself, but a little bit of, uh, you know, busha, as we say in Hebrew. A little bit of bashfulness. That's the word. I'm a little bashful. Because God is right here and I'm feeling, I'm experiencing it. Now, that might not be the experiential reality when we're zipping through the sitter on a regular day. But that is certainly something we aspire to, and we're definitely going to demonstrate that. That's reason number one. Reason number two. There's, again, I'm confessing to God. I'm trying to repent. I'm trying to return. And with that comes a little bit of, a little bit of pain, if you will. A little bit of brokenness. It, it, it is an emotional, emotionally taxing experience. And with that, we rest our head in, 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 in pain. It's actually a verse in Tehillim. It says, The offering to God is a broken heart. That's like a sacrifice to God. Broken heart. There's a story with where the Baal Shem Tov, this is a great story. The Baal Shem Tov called upon somebody to blow the shofar in shul. Traditionally, in Hasidic circles, and truth is just traditionally throughout Jewish history, the person blowing the shofar, you, you would the, the criteria, you know, would be somebody who knows how to get a sound out, right? But you need a little bit more than that. There's more criteria than that. They have to know the laws. They have to know how to do it properly. But beyond that, they have to understand the real deep spiritual significance of the shofar, the kavana, the spiritual kavana. And there's many, many Kabbalistic writings describing what's going on when we sound that shofar and what we're going to experience when we sound that shofar. And when you have somebody who understands that to some extent, sound that shofar and, and live that when they sound that shofar, it's not just, oh, he's good. <laughs> he knows how to get a sound out of that thing. It's less utilitarian. It's more of a relationship. So the Bashem Tov called upon somebody in Shul. He said, I want you to blow the shofar this year. He's me. I'm going to blow the shofar in the Bashem Tov Shul. You know, many, one might, he didn't feel honored. He felt intimidated. He spent a long time learning the various meditations, learning the various kamanot, doing his best to master everything, the Kabbalistic writings, to really know what he's doing when he sounds that shofar, to really have the kavana so he could give everybody that proper experience. He spent a long time, and you know what he did? 
she condensed his whole understanding of the mystical meaning of shofar into a small piece of paper. It's right there. And he'll have that paper with him in his pocket. He gets up to blow the shofar. He reaches in his pocket. Paper's gone. And he's just... You know that feeling when, when something goes wrong and you go, ooh. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. He's just shaking. He's expected to blow the shofar on behalf of the holy Baal Shem Tov for all the Jewish people in this show. The Baal Shem Tov called upon him out of everybody. And he doesn't. He gets so nervous that he can't remember anything. The guy just starts crying. He's broken. He blows the shofar. The Baal Shem Tov comes up to him afterwards and says, that was the most beautiful shofar experience I've ever had. He says, how could, how could that be? I didn't have the right kavan. I didn't have the right intention. He says, because you had a broken heart. There's all the various keys to various gates in heaven. But the gates of tears never closed. That gate never closed. And you were able to access that gate. Not through kavana, but through your heart, through your will, through your desire, through your genuine genuinity, authenticity. Okay, that's reason number two why we cover our face. A little bit of, you know, I, 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 a little bit of humility almost. Reason number three. It also represents bittel. You know what bittel means? I don't. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> okay, you know what? Bittel means I'm open to knowing that there's something beyond what I could sense. There's more to the story. Which means the reality isn't absolute as I see it. Absolute as I smell it, or as I taste it, or as I sense it. By hiding our senses, we're admitting that there is more. Similar to the Shema, we cover our eyes. We believe there's more than what we see. Over here, we're burying our face. There's more than what we can experience with our own face. Represents an element of Bittel. There's a great book called, in Hebrew, which means reason for reasons for customs and explains reasons for Jewish customs. Authored probably uh I gotta believe it's over a century ago. Maybe even more, I don't know. And he points out that um you, you do the Nephilus Apaim, the leaning our head on our hand with the left arm. Unless you're wearing tefillin on that arm. But theoretically it's the left arm. He says, Why the left arm? On Pesach, you lean on the left side. On Pesach, why do we lean on the left side? We lean as a symbolism of freedom. But why the left side? It's just a technical thing. If you lean on the right side, you know, the water could, the, the, the wine could go down the wrong side, right? If you lean on the left side, it's safer. But we associate left with freedom. And what we should feel when we have that bitzel 
is not a, a sense of I'm nothing or a sense of I'm being oppressed, a sense of I'm neglecting my inner desires and needs and self. We should feel a sense of freedom. If we have bittal, but we don't feel free, then we're doing it wrong. That's not bittal. But that's represented by the left side. The left side represents freedom. There was a so these are the three reasons the commentary Rabbeinu Bahaya explains for Nephilus Apayim, the burying of our face, the 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 falling of our face in our arm. Is there a term in English we can use? Help me out here. The sitter doesn't actually Nephilus Apayim. The the falling literally means the falling of our face. You know, because Moshe's face, Moshe fell on his face. Okay, I don't know. I mean, it's like you well, said in the Torah, it says he fell on his face. So if there was you know, a for it, probably. Yeah, it works. It works. There's another reason, by the way, why we do this. A little bit of a more mystical reason. It, it's important to note that when we daven, you know, on the most external level, the most superficial level, we're saying words. On a deeper level, I'm saying words to God. On an even deeper level, I may even understand what I'm saying to God. On an even deeper level, I may even understand and be inspired by what I'm saying to God. But the Kabbalists take it a step further. When we're davening, there's a whole divine experience taking place. And I'm not a Kabbalist, so I can't tell you from experience. There's something going on. Kabbalists know this. And when you read the books of Kabbalah, I was just glancing at something today from the Arizal. What happens when you recite the Amida? And it's like, wow. I I I don't even mind-blowing. I don't I don't even know what's going on. But I'm gonna tell you this from text and not from experience, just to be a little honest here. <laughs> the various levels of Davening. Davening is a progression. We start off with Modaani and we progress in our connection with Hashem. And the Kabbalists explain what's actually happening is we're climbing worlds. Because Kabbalah explains that there's different worlds. What's a world? A world means dimension, a, a realm. World is a funny word. We think of like planets, but a realm. And the various realms that Kabbalah describes represent various degrees of spiritual clarity. Kabbalah would refer to our world as the lowest realm. The realm where we have the least spiritual clarity and the most skepticism and cynicism. And as you climb each realm, you get more and more clarity and more and more certainty. Less faith, because you, you, you know, you don't have to believe. Till you finally reach the Amida, the Shema and the Amida. The, the Amida were just 
the way it's described is the Amida is the silent prayer because we're so close. You only need to be loud when you're far, <laughs> but when you're close, you're silent. It's quiet. You don't need to be loud and passionate. You're right there. Relationships that are maturing are fiery. And relationships that are already mature are calm and sturdy, stable. That's the Amida. Right? That's a very high level, the Amida. We're standing right before God. It's almost like a climax. And Kabbalah explains that the Nefilas Apayim, this Tachnun prayer, this forgiveness prayer, is not a plateau in the climax or even a going back down. It's actually the actual climax. You're actually going up still. One of the most intimate level uh, um, parts of our connection with God is experienced through this prayer, as we're, we're going to read it in the English soon. Nephilus Apayim, this prayer represents the ultimate oneness with God. And Kabbalah refers to it as intimacy. Intimacy with God. I'm totally intimate with God. Totally one. And you know what one needs to do during intimacy? Have shame. Be private. Adam and Eve, prior to the sin of the tree of knowledge, prior for, to, to eating that fruit, there was no need for privacy because there was no self-consciousness. They were soul-conscious, not self-conscious. But once they've indulged and they become soul-conscious, self-conscious, what's the first thing they did? They started wearing leaves. They started putting clothing on. They started covering themselves up. And they said, they realized that in order for true intimacy to take place and for us to focus on the connection, not just the somatic experience, not just the body, we've got to cover ourselves up. And it's the same in our connection with God. In order for us to experience this true vulnerable moment with God, this true intimate moment with God, it's got to be private. That's nafilas apayim. That's the covering of the face when reciting this forgiveness prayer. It's our own private moment with God, our own intimate moment with God. And it's it's silent. It's private. It's nobody's business. It's raw. It's real. And if we're experiencing that, we're going to want to hide a little bit. We're going to want to be a little bit more humble about it and, and, and private about it. It's not something we can boast about. That's the philosophy. The covering of the face, the falling on the face for this prayer. Now, let's take a look at the prayer itself. Before we move forward, any questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? Okay. Let's look at the prayer itself. This is on page... 55, second half of the page. It's a direct excerpt from Psalm 25. Now, let me take a step back. 
when the notion of nefilas apayim is introduced by the sages, the idea of falling on our face and, and, and having this communion with God is introduced, there isn't necessarily a specific text that was uh, part of it. The Zohar suggests reciting this psalm. Other sources suggest other psalms. If you look in the Siddur of Rav Hai Gaon, one of the oldest Siddurim, I'm going to say about a thousand years old, one of the oldest Siddurim, it talks about falling on the face and, and having this uh, moment with God, this vulnerable moment with God, with no specific text, but just from the heart. But it was later the tradition from the Arizal where it was instituted to recite specifically this psalm. And actually, if you look in the Ashkenaz Siddur, they have a different psalm in there. And my other Siddur might have different psalms in there. But this is the psalm that is in the Siddur of those who follow the tradition of the Kabbalist, the Arizal. Let's quickly read through the psalm. It's a little bit of a long one. We'll read through it quickly. You with me? And you'll soon see the significance of uh, and the depth of how this represents real deep vulnerability and intimacy with God. A psalm by David... To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. My God, I have put my trust in you. May I not be put to shame. May my enemies not exalt over me. Indeed, may all who hope in you not be put to shame. Let those who be shamed, let those be shamed who act treacherously without provocation. Lord, make your ways known to me. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are God of my deliverance. I yearn for you all day. Lord, remember your mercies and your kindnesses, for they have existed for all time. Do not bring to mind the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. Remember me in accordance with your loving kindness because you, because of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs the sinners in the right path. He guides the humble on the path of the justice and teaches the humble his way. All the Lord's paths are kindness and truth to those who observe his covenant and testimonies. For the sake of your name, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. He who is a God-fearing man, him he instructs the path to choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his children shall inherit the earth. The secrets of the Lord he reveals to those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are always directed toward the Lord, for he sets free my feet from the snare. Turn to me to be and be gracious to me, and I alone, for I am alone and afflicted. Afflicted, the sufferings of my heart have increased. Deliver me from my tribulations. Behold my affliction and suffering, and forgive all my sins. See how numerous my enemies have become. They hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. May I not be put to shame, for I place trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness guard me, for my hope is in you. God redeem Israel from all its afflictions, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So this was authored by King David, the book of Tehillim. King David has gone through a lot. King David has suffered a lot. King David wanted to be murdered and lived much of his life on the run and felt like he had perhaps mess-ups in his life. 
And he's having this heart-to-heart -heart conversation. God, uplift me. Accept me. Embrace me. Right? This beautiful, vulnerable conversation with God. And we're doing the same. And because it's a deep, intimate moment, we're covering our face. One of the earliest commentaries on the sitter was by Rabbi David Abu Dharam, Sephardic rabbi. And he points out that the significance of this prayer chosen to be used as this deep, vulnerable connection and conversation with God, post-Amida, why specifically this psalm in Tehillim? So he says, look through the psalm, look through the Hebrew. Look at the first letter of each sentence. Each one starts with the order of the Aleph base. It encompasses the whole Aleph base, right? similar to the confessional prayer that we discussed last week. However, analyze the prayer quote closely, and you'll notice there are three letters from the alphabet missing. So the first starts with Eloi Kai, an Aleph, but if you go through it, there's three letters missing. The three letters are a base, a bet, a vav, and a kuf. You know what that spells? Book. Book. <laughs> a book. Base, vav, kuf. Book. And Abu Dharam explains. He was an expert in grammar that in ancient biblical Hebrew, you know what the word book means? I didn't even know this till today. The word book means emptiness. We're signifying to God that we're not lacking emptiness. Our life has substance to it. We're having this deep, meaningful, vulnerable, intimate moment with God, our special time with God buried in our face. Nobody else has business it's that's what makes it intimate as soon as everybody else is invited it's no longer intimate and we're lacking base vav kuf we're lacking emptiness which is a good thing we're full we're complete because we're doing teshuva because we're reconnecting um can i make one comment yeah go for it so in, in the Tehillim book, it says that those three letters are had the numerical equivalence of Gehinnom, and that if we recite this psalm daily, we will not see the face of purgatory. Okay, good. Interesting. Very interesting. That was pretty cool that you pulled that up, right? Right, uh, right out there. Very cool. Very interesting as well. In in general. There are two types of teshuva that the Zohar talks about. There's teshuva tata'a, teshuva ila'a, lower level teshuva, higher level teshuva. Lower level teshuva is repenting, repenting for sins. Higher level teshuva is connecting to God. The the theme of this teshuva over here is higher level teshuva. 
Because the focus isn't what I've done wrong, what I want to run away from. It's whom I want to connect to. Or put differently, the focus isn't what I did to offend you. The focus is I want to connect to you. It's not the what, it's the who. That's the difference between the two levels of teshuva. This is that higher level of teshuva. And by the way, just parenthetically speaking, this is the theme of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the theme is the higher level of teshuva. Not so much what we've done wrong, but who we want to connect to. That's the higher level of teshuva. And that higher level of teshuva has to, become, has to be done with joy. Has to be done with simcha. That level of teshuva is raw. You know what I mean by raw? It's God. It's just you and me. That's it. But that intimacy is very raw. There's no drama. There's no... What other people think of it. Or even what I think of it. It's the essence. And that's why I look at the text. Let's refer back to the text. Beginning of the psalm. A psalm by David. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. My goal here is to lift my soul up. To realign myself. That's what lifting my soul means. I want to put my soul in the right space. I know that I have been influenced by the body, been influenced by wacky ideas, by wacky perspectives, feelings, experiences that are antithetical to where the soul really belongs. The soul, you know what the soul is? Can you imagine when a Chabad rabbi moves out to the middle of nowhere, what he's experiencing? It's like what am what am I doing here? I have a feeling I'm not in Brooklyn anymore. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm not in Kansas anymore, right? It, it it's like, well, why isn't there a minion three times a day? And where's the mikvah? And where's the restaurant? And where's the butcher? And where's the shul? And where's the whoa? A little lonely here. <laughs> That's fine. He has a job. His job is to build that and to share that with other people and to radiate and to inspire. But there is that sticker shock. And the soul goes through the same thing. The soul comes down from heaven. It's like, what? What do you mean you don't know if there's a God? <laughs> I just came from there. What do you mean that you don't know that there's an absolute truth and there's a right and there's a wrong and there's a Torah and there's mitzvahs and there's a favorite? What do you mean? I just... And slowly, if the soul gets influenced and the soul loses its fire, its passion... We have this deep, intimate connection with God, and we do teshuva. We return. Like David said to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. I'm here to lift up my soul. I'm here to reconnect. I'm here to do it with joy. Look how the psalm concludes. Look at the last sentence. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With this type of teshuva, no sin can stand in the way. 
Call yourself the worst. It doesn't matter. No sin will stand in the way. Right? And we have we think oh, if only people knew what I've been up to, what but the challenges I had, the Yetzahara I have. It's not getting in the way of your relationship with God. Because you have a soul that is inseparable. And with this intimate, private moment, we're covering ourselves and we're lifting it up. This is beautiful timing with Yom Kippur. We're looking at God and saying, yes, I may have messed up, but I have a beautiful soul and I'm here to restore it. I'm here to polish it. I'm going to start doing things that make my soul feel more at home. Make my soul more comfortable. More Torah study, more mitzvahs. The garments might be dirty, but I'm here to lift up my soul. So I'll conclude with a story. The story is there was a soldier in Tsarist Russia. And um, under Tsar Nikolov, Nikolov or Nikolai, whatever, under the Tsar. And the soldiers are lined up in the afternoon and the czar is going to come at the lineup and whatever, do his czar thing. It's hot outside. They're in uniform. And they're carrying weapons. And it's just the sun's beating on them. And it's one of the soldiers sees there's a lake right there. I can jump in this lake. You think I can make it? Have you ever been on a New York subway? And there's a stop. The door's open. And there's a little stand right there where they're selling Diet Coke in the fridge. Can I run out at the next stop in and out? Just hand him the cash. Do you think I can make it back? That's what this... Sorry, I'm just bringing a personal example. That's what this guy is thinking. <laughs> can I jump in that lake? In, get the clothing off, in, get the clothing back on, out before the czar comes. And any every second you're waiting is another second where you're you're getting further from being able to do it. He decides he's going to do it. It's just too hot. Friends say, no, no, don't be doing it. He throws his clothing off. He plummets into the water. As he comes up, guess who's waiting right there? The czar. Awkward. The czar says to him, I give you one chance to explain yourself. And it's it's not like... um. You know, in the U.S. Army, where you you get some sort of citation. <laughs> um, this this is Russia, man, and it's certainly not even modern Russia. Who knows what it's like in modern Russia? But I'm saying it, this was. I gave you one opportunity to explain yourself. He says, "Your Majesty, who do you value more, me or my clothing?" He says, "Well, you. I'm here." My clothing might not be here, but I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere. Clothing come and go. I'm here, and I'm here to stay. The czar was impressed. And let him live. On Yom Kippur, and truth is, in this intimate moment when we have Nefila Sapayim, when we have this communion with God, we say to God, my clothing might be dirty. The thoughts that I've had, the things that I've said, Things that I've done, it might be dirty, it might be lacking. Maybe I shouldn't have had, I didn't have thoughts that I should have. I wasn't thinking about what I should have thought about. Didn't say what I should have done. Maybe I didn't pray properly. 
Maybe I didn't do the mitzvahs I should have done. My clothing are lacking. God, I'm here. Even if my clothing aren't, I'm here. I'm here for you. Nothing else matters. It's just you and me. Total intimacy and connection. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. 